Let's get back into the Word, Micah chapter 7. Today we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10 as we work toward winding up this series that we've been in for, for several weeks, winding up this, this book. Some, a book that will be very often neglected, as the minor prophets are. I hope that you have uh, benefited and profited spiritually from our time in this uh, word portion of the Word of the Lord. Um, I will, I'm not going to read the text in advance. I'm going to start with prayer, and, and we'll read the text as we work our way through this, this sermon this morning. Father, I come to you, and I ask that you would make us all to hear your word. Through your prophet Micah, you are constantly urging us to hear the word of the Lord. Those who hear believing are the saved. Those who do not hear will be lost forever. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. So pour out upon us, lavishly, freely, I pray, your Holy Spirit. Because without your Spirit working, enabling, we will not hear, we will not see, we will not believe, and we will not obey. Oh God, I pray that you would work in every single heart that's gathered in this room. And I pray that we would all be drawn closer to you and conformed to your Son. May we all go from here believing, rejoicing, and obeying. In Christ's name and for his sake I pray. Amen. The message of Micah is that the people who hear the word of the Lord believing will be the remnant that he saves and shepherds as his flock forever. I haven't gone back to that as the overall message for a few weeks, and so let me repeat it. The message of this book overall is that those who hear the word of the Lord, believing, will be the remnant that he saves and shepherds as his flock forever. We must be so careful to hear the word of God. Think of the consequences if we fail to hear, if we fail to believe. Let's hear. Now, as we come into Micah chapter 7, it is difficult to, to pinpoint the exact timing of this round of oracles. There are three rounds of oracles. What is an oracle? An oracle is an announcement from God delivered through a prophet concerning judgment and or salvation. There are three rounds in Micah, and they all start the same way, with the commandment to hear God's word. So the last round began in chapter 6, verse 1, with the command, again, to hear. So we can't pinpoint exactly the timing of this round as far as Micah's time frame goes, his historical time frame. He ministered for probably 20 years or more, and we don't know exactly when he spoke and wrote these particular words. But it's very clearly a time when Micah is feeling very much alone in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God. And so chapter 7 follows chapter 6. Chapter 6, you remember, had this indictment 
against the, the sins and the sinners of the people of Jerusalem and every level of leadership and so on and contained God's sentence against those sinners. And so chapter 7 begins with a very deep expression of lament and grief on Micah's part as he feels alone in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with our God, as was the command we saw in Micah 6, verse 8. He feels alone. And so he begins with this expression of grief. We can see very clearly from what Micah says that following Christ and hearing the word of God and faith and obeying will have a cost. There will be a cost to following Jesus. Salvation is free. There is a cost to following Christ. That Jesus himself said, we must count if we are going to follow him faithfully. Before we read, I just want to ask you, are you willing to bear the cost of following Jesus now for the end reward? Are you willing to bear the cost? Micah is bearing the cost. Let's read what he says. He says, woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. Woe is me, he says. This is not just somebody who's complaining, feels sorry for himself. This is an expression of very deep grief. Because he does, again, feel utterly alone in obeying the commandments of God. He feels like he has gone into the vineyard of the Lord, which would be the people of Jerusalem. He's gone into the vineyard, the people of the Lord, and he has looked for righteousness. He has looked for justice. And he can't find anything. It's like the harvest is all gone, and and normally there would be some... You know, pieces left where the poor would come in after the the harvest had been reaped and they would gather up the leftovers to support themselves. But Micah goes into the the vineyard and everything has been picked clean. He looks for, for someone who is godly, someone who is righteous, and he can't find a single soul. He feels completely and utterly alone. Hence this expression of grief. Now, in the same time frame that Micah was mourning what he couldn't find in the vineyard of the Lord, not a single good grape left, Isaiah was also depicting Israel and Judah as the vineyard of God. And so to help us understand Micah 7 better, I think we should turn back to Isaiah 5. When you see that this whole metaphor, word picture is used throughout the Old Testament for the people of God. It will help us to make sense of Micah 7. So Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. Isaiah writes that Israel and Judah were planted as the Lord's vineyard to yield grapes. That is, to yield righteousness but only wild grapes and edible grapes were found. So let's read this passage. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel was planted by God to yield a a harvest of righteousness before God. But he can't find anything of what he sowed. God has done everything right for his vineyard, and yet nothing. And now he grieves over it, and he will be just to destroy it. We know the expression, you reap what you sow. It's an expression that we draw from Scripture. It's a spiritual law, and it's a, a law of nature as well. In nature, you know, provided that the right conditions are in place, you have the right amount of sunlight, the right soil conditions, and the right nurturing, you will reap what you sow. The Bible is saying to us, the Lord sowed, but he did not reap. This is an outrage. God planted his people to yield a harvest of righteousness. He defended his vineyard. He nurtured his vineyard. But the vineyard didn't yield accordingly. It's it's unnatural. And so God is grieved and he is angry and he will be just to make it a waste. Micah is doing the same thing as the Lord was doing in Isaiah 5. He is looking for some kind of harvest. He is looking for grapes, for righteousness. And he doesn't find it at all. The Lord mourns. Micah mourns. Do you mourn? Do you mourn the sin of the world and the fate of its sinners? When the world turns a deaf ear to the Lord and His commandments, do you grieve? I know we have some kind of what we would call a negative emotional response. But is there true grief? I know we might have anger, and sometimes that's just. Very often it's unrighteous anger. But do we grieve over sin? The world is perishing. Do we mourn? When even in the church, there is a small fruit of righteousness. The Bible calls it the peaceful fruit of righteousness in Hebrews. When in the church it's small, do you mourn? Do you grieve? When your own life doesn't reap what the Lord has sown into it, 
Are you discomforted by that? When you act in a way that's contrary to the planting and the defending of the Lord, like maybe he didn't do right by you, do you go on your way happy? Or do you grieve? We need to understand that God has sown into our lives everything that we need in Christ for life and for godliness. We have everything sown into us in Christ for that harvest of righteousness. Once your life and my life belonged to the enemy, and it showed, we were fruitless. We were that dry branch, brittled, on the ground, cast aside for the fire. But long before the Lord chose you as his own, and in time he came to you, and he picked you up off of the ground, and he grafted you into the vine and brought you to life and to fruitfulness. We have everything we need in Christ for this harvest of righteousness. The Lord had planted Israel to be a fruitful vineyard. He did not reap what he sowed in old Israel, but he will reap what he has sowed in the new Israel. Now hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel was supposed to be that fruitful vine. It obviously was not. Hear the words of Christ. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine, he said, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. What is the the branch of your life yielding up to God? Is your life yielding to the vine dresser the Christ-like fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, Peace, and not just those morals like the world also respects and so on, but I mean Christ-like love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Is your life yielding that up to the Lord? You have been grafted into Christ. Your life and your strength is in Christ, and it should show. Micah reports what he sees when he looks on Jerusalem society back down into the second part of verse 2 and forward. This is what he sees. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar the most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. The men that Micah implicates here, the the prince and the judge, the great men, were to be watchmen for the nation. They were to, to watch and to guard against worldliness coming in and affecting the people of God, against the invasion of worldliness. 
But they didn't guard. They didn't watch. In fact, they let the enemy to the gates and opened wide the gates and escorted the enemy right inside. And punishment had now come for them. They would find that the very life that had been their gain would turn to the loss and the destruction of their lives and their city. Let me back up in the text a little bit. And at the end of verse 2, he says, when the price is right, they're against each other. But then again, in verse 3, when the price is right, they work together. And their work, he says, is excellent. He says the world is so very good at doing evil. You pick up on the sarcasm in verse 3. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. There's a very bitter taste in this prophet's mouth. In the vineyard that God had planted, Micah's estimation is that the, the most moral of men, the most upright of men, are nothing better than a briar, a thorn hedge. They are so very far from what God had sown. And so he feels utterly alone. Now let's look at verses 5 and 6. Feeling utterly alone, what does he say? He says, put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Now we would never say, at least, I mean right now, we could not say, we could not make a good case that things in our society are as bad as things were in Micah's. Because they aren't. But as opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ grows in our society, conflict within the closest relationships, familial relationships, will grow along with it. As society grows in opposition, so it will be in our very own homes. The lines are progressively being drawn more and more clear. Perhaps you have already found in your own life that walking humbly with your God has put you at odds with people in your own house. The Lord said it would be this way. He said, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Luke chapter 12. How critical it is that we in the church choose now, today, that we will walk together with our God. Because opposition is growing. Let us walk carefully with our God in covenant together. Let's say with the people of God who were that faithful remnant in Micah's day, let's be the kinds of people who say, all the peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. They have their God. They follow their God. They bow down. We will walk in the name of our God forever and ever. It is absolutely critical that we determine
that we are going to hear the word of God and obey his commandments and obey faithfully. We will be tested. When the Lord says that we must deny ourselves and take up our cross in following Christ, do we get the impression from those words that it's going to be easy? That there's not going to be a price? That we won't have to pay a cost? Salvation is free to us, but there will be a price for following the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that there is a a payoff for compromise. We all know that. That's why we're tempted to compromise. Because we, we want people to approve us. We're tempted to the friendship of the world. The approval of the world is always short term. It's always temporary. It's the passing pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin for a season. If your hopes are in this world, in the friendship of this world, if your treasures are here, you are going to compromise. You will reason in your heart and say, well, the times have changed. Or you'll reason in your heart and use the Scripture against the Scripture and say, it's not my place to judge someone's immoral lifestyle. Let it be codified into law. We'll compromise. If our treasures are here, if we want the friendship of the world, we'll compromise. And before too long, we will find ourselves heeding the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of the sinner, and sitting in the seat of the scoffer. We need to mourn the sin of this world. We are not to bury our heads in the sand and be oblivious to what is going on in the world and oblivious to the compromise that is going on even in the evangelical, in name, church. We must not be oblivious. We must be aware of the problems and grieve and mourn over the sin and remember the sure promise of Christ. He said, blessed are those who mourn, right? For they shall be comforted. And knowing that the faithful will be comforted, this is what Micah said. This was Micah's choice. He said, but as for me, this is verse 7. I'd like you to look down on this because I'm going to concentrate on these four words, especially as we move forward. He was fully aware of the world rushing on by after its temporary pleasures. He knew their reward. But he said, But as for me, I will wait for the God of my salvation. I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. But as for me. Now he's already talked like this one time. Back in Micah chapter 3 verse 8, when he was talking about the kind of preachers who are false prophets, he was talking about the diviners and so on, the kinds of preachers who will preach whatever you pay them to preach. You pay, they say. That's how it goes. Pay them enough, they'll say whatever you want. He was he was thinking about them back in Micah 3. And he said, but as for me, I am filled with power. I am filled with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. But as for me, that's Micah the prophet making his choice. 
He will not cross over to the other side. He will not straddle the line. He's not going to be neutral. He's not going to play both sides. He is going to be a man of God. No matter how few the people of God are, no matter how small the remnant who are faithful may be, Micah is choosing to follow God. But as for me. Does this remind any of you of Joshua? 700 years earlier, at the end of his life, Joshua, the leader who had brought God's people into Canaan, he gathered the nation to himself, and he knew that the nation, after him and after he and the elders had passed off the scene, he knew they'd go back to idolatry. And he said to them, Choose today who you are going to serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Same kind of choice statement that Micah is making. He says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. He is going to endure. He will not join the world. He will not. And let me also point this out. He's not going to give in to despair. He started off this chapter saying, woe is me. The conclusion, the trajectory of that is you keep going with that. You're at despair. Just throw up your hands and, and give up altogether. But he will not give in to despair. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Where does our help come from? All of you who are being tempted to despair, who see the way of the world, or the way of even some within your own house, and you say like Micah, where is the righteousness? Where is the godliness? Where is the faithfully, uh, faithful following after God and, and seeking after Christ? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, who is our shield, who is our exceeding great reward. It is the Lord, and he will be faithful to his people. He is the God of our salvation, and he will hear us. All those people who mourn sin and refuse the pleasures of this world will one day know the comforts of Christ. Jesus said, again, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we mourn sin and we refuse sin's pleasures, we know that one day, at the day of Christ, we will be wrapped in the comforts of Christ. He has promised us that he will wipe away all of our tears. Let us be faithful, even when there is a cost. It is painful when our own turn away from the Lord. Students, it is so tempting when your friends at school turn away from God and, and turn to sin with laughter and they brag about it. You need to decide with Micah, following his example, that you will say, I see your choice. I know your way. I know what you're going after. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. We need to decide now, even as those in our household turn away from God. We need to say with Micah, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. Don't turn back like Lot's wife. Don't turn back. Jesus said that the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. 
But as for me, but as for us, we will look to the Lord. The people of the world will walk each in the name of their God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I want you to hear the warning and the promise of the word of God. Everyone here, hear the word of the Lord. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. Why would we grow weary? Because it's hard and because it's costly. Because there's going to be sacrifice that is demanded of us. We will be made to look different. We will be countercultural. We will be going against the tide of this world. But let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, if we do not faint. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a mourning that is a part of the believer's life. Like Paul said, it's that, that strange mix of emotion, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Don't join yourself to the world to leave the mourning behind because it's easier, it's more comfortable. These tears are only for a night. The Bible says that our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. Let's be faithful to Christ. Let's move on to verses 8 through 10. In verses 8 and following, the city of Jerusalem, Zion, is personified for our younger ones to help you understand what I mean. I mean that there's this this plot of land called Jerusalem and, and brick and mortar that make up the city. And here they are given a voice. doesn't mean that literally they are people, but in the prophetic word, the, the poetry, the metaphor and pictures of it, the city is personified, made to attribute it with the characteristics that make us up as people. So here, Zion contemplates her own population and rebellion against God. Zion knows that her walls are going to, to crumble, that the temple will be completely burned, all the precious things taken away. Zion knows that her people will either be exiled to Babylon or killed. But this is what the city says. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. There are some here, sitting here in our church family, that need to latch on to those words and memorize them. Because as you struggle spiritually and emotionally, and you have the same lamenting and grieving as Micah, you need to struggle back against the temptation to despair with these words. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. The city continues. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. 
I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. In the immediate context, Assyria is the enemy at the gates of Jerusalem. You remember this? They have accomplished a a rampage of violence across Jerusalem, taking one city and town after another, and now they're at the gates, and, and the representatives of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, are saying to the people of Jerusalem, who are sitting there on top of the wall listening, where's the Lord your God? Do you think that there is any God on the face of the planet that can deliver you from the power of Assyria? from Sennacherib, king of the Assyrians. And when the people in Jerusalem heard those words and they heard the message of Micah and Isaiah, led by King Hezekiah, they repented. But a hundred years later, they wouldn't. They would continue in their sin and Babylon, the new enemy, would take out the city. The enemy is going to mock Jerusalem as it strikes it. And the surrounding nations like Edom, one of their traditional enemies, are going to cheer on Babylon. But this word tells us that any victory against God's people, any victory, is always short term. And the indignation of God, his wrath that allows this defeat, is temporary. So the city of Zion is in mourning but not without hope. She knows that she's going to fall, and she knows that she deserves to fall, but she is looking beyond her fall to her resurrection, when she will be raised up and redeemed by the power of the promise of the God who delights in steadfast love. What truths of Scripture must the people of God hold on to in the day of darkness? He does not retain his anger forever. I know you're a sinner. You know I'm a sinner. Every single one of us knows that we share guilt in common. We know that we are disciplined by the hand of God. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, Psalm 30 promises us, but joy comes with the morning. I wish we had time to read all of Isaiah 54. I may come back to this passage next week. I'll just read to you Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. This is what God said to his people. He said, for a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Do you hear the promise of God? Now where is that promise light? Remember what the city said? The city said, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So where is the promised light of the Lord? You know the answer, right? As Jesus is the true vine, so he is the true light. Isaiah foretold it. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born. Isaiah 9. To us a son is given. 
and the government will be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In him we find our light. The Lord spoke over his servant, his son, in eternity past. And this song that God sings over his servant is recorded for us in Isaiah 42. If you've got a phone that you're using, look it up. Isaiah 42, verses 5 to 8. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you, speaking to his servant, his son, in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. What are we talking about? I say that because I know how easy it is for people to get distracted. Jesus is the light that we look for. Jesus is the promised light that God has given to us. Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, saw this light on the horizon. And this is what he sang. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Simeon came to the temple when he was just a few weeks old, and he took up the light in his arms, and he rejoiced, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then Jesus, of course, when he was of age, claimed it for himself. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John 12, that was John 8, John 12, he said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. Micah went into the vineyard of the Lord And he looked for edible grapes. He looked for something left. Someone who is godly. Someone who is righteous. And he couldn't find a single soul. Israel had failed. But Jesus is the true vine. And you and I have been picked up by the Lord. Dead off the ground. And grafted into Christ. He is the vine. And we are his branches. And all of our life is in Him. The people of God, few as they were in Micah's day, knew that though they sat in darkness, the Lord would be light to them. And Jesus is that light. He is the true light of God. We look on this world and we see, we see darkness spreading. We see darkness very powerful, growing increasingly powerful in our day. But already, God who said, let light shine from darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God has already done great things for us. God has grafted us into 
Christ, His Son, the vine. And He has given us the light of Jesus Christ. So what will we do in this day? Let's follow the example of Joshua and of Micah. And let us say, while the world passes us by, going the other way, let us say, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I have made my choice. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Are you looking to Christ? Are you grafted into Christ the vine? Is the Christ-like fruit of the Holy Spirit being born in your life? Are you producing? Does the light of Jesus Christ shine in your heart? There may be someone here being honest who would say, I don't think that I am. I am in darkness and without the Lord. The Bible promises that if you will turn from your darkness to Jesus in faith, you will be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Look to Christ. Fly to Christ. He has never once turned a repentant sinner away. He forgives. He has paid our debt on the cross of Calvary. He died in our place. He was risen from the grave, and in Him we can find all of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, when we look on the world around us, we see so many, and it seems to us more all the time, who are not just simply walking in the name and the way of their God but who are beginning to run in that way, headlong, throwing themselves into sin, and more vocal and more open is becoming their opposition to Christ, to the way of Christ. I pray, Father, for each one here that we would say from a heart of true faith, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I pray that each one here would make the choice, as Micah your servant did before us, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. We know that you will hear us. We know that you will deliver us. And on the day of Jesus Christ, when he returns, we will be saved from his wrath. We are safe in your arms, and no one and nothing can pluck us from your hands. Give us confidence as we go. Let us not fear. Strengthen our faith, our commitment to you, and the covenant that we share together to walk in your way. Please help us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.